Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. We're looking at basically all of the first chapter of Luke. So I'm gonna read probably around 40 verses. Is that okay? We're up for that this morning. So the Bible's out, we're gonna start, we'll look at verse five through to 25, and then we're gonna jump ahead and we'll pick it up from verse 57. It's an amazing story of, uh, of this time of year. It's an amazing story that I think sometimes is, there's so much in this. It is so, so rich. God has so much to say to us through what is going on here. So beginning in verse five, Luke chapter one, reading in the NIV, In the time of Herod, king of uh, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Everyone say Zechariah. Now your translation might say Zechariah or Zacharias. It's all the same name in the Greek. They just translate it differently occasionally. So you can say it however you wanna say it. Uh, Who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah? His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, who was the high priest. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. You get that picture? They're both very old. I love how the NIV puts that. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving a priest before God, he was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So what this is about here is you've got to understand there's about 20,000 priests in Jerusalem, okay? 20,000 of them. And so they were split into 24 divisions. Um, So it's probably a little bit over 20,000, close to 1,000 priests per division. And then there was one, uh, there was different jobs, but the most coveted job was this job of burning the incense because this job brought you right near the Holy of Holies, which was that place where only the high priest could go once a year. So this was like a huge deal. This is a once in about five lifetime experience and they did it by lot. So drawing straws effectively. And Zechariah, Zechariah gets chosen by lot to fulfill this job. And so when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. So he's the only one in there and there's thousands of people outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring, many, uh, bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah who was a great Old Testament prophet to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the uh, disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How's that to be spoken over your 
not even yet conceived son. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Uh, I love that, (laughs) so human. I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Do you get that? Like, it's like he's offended, you know? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Skip ahead, verse 57. So Gabriel comes again to Mary. Mary falls pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. John jumps in Elizabeth's womb in excitement for what's going on. Mary sings the Magnificent, which is what Leona preached on last week. Now we're up to speed. Verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were gonna name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbours were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. This is what happened when his mouth was loosed. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That means a power, it means a king. He said this long ago through his holy prophets, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path 
of peace. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. And we just pray now that, that you would speak to us. Lord, in the time that we have, just quicken my mouth to speak only your word. Lord, Holy Spirit, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Do you have anyone in your life who when they tell a story, you immediately doubt? Anybody? You got any people in your life who as soon as they speak, you start to look upon them with a suspicious intent? We have one such person in our family, um, the youngest. <laughs> and uh, long story, which I'll skip over a bit of, but basically through a series of different events, a song has come about. Uh, and the song goes like this, Benj, facts, Benj, facts, facts made up by Benj. <laughs> and so, for example, the other day, we were sitting in the car and he was talking to us about the fact that Ronaldo is better than Messi. And the reason Ronaldo is so good is because, even though he actually previously thought Messi was better than Ronaldo, but now Ronaldo is better than Messi because Ronaldo was flying a plane. And when he was flying the plane, the plane crashed. And yet he managed to uh, pilot that plane in a way that no one died. And he, like, I didn't, he's just rattling on while I'm driving. And then I hear Bailey in the back of the car and he just goes, It was so good. And then obviously Benji rounds on him and that starts a fight and that's a whole other thing. But there's this, there's this immediate suspicion when a story starts, you're like, is that really true? Like, can I really take what you're saying as fact? Or do I need to put that through the Benj fact prism and figure out what's actually going on? And I think sometimes when we come to the Christmas story, especially if we're new to faith or if, if we're not even uh, a person of faith yet, maybe we're exploring, it's easy to look at this with eyes of suspicion, isn't it? It's easy to go, this is like, this is crazy. You know, like really? An angel appears and speaks some stuff and goes to a, a virgin and a virgin falls pregnant to to God's child and gives birth and then there's the angels and the shepherds and the star and you're like, come on, really? Really? It's easy to look with suspicious eyes. It's easy just to hum it off. You know, it's easy to just to hum it off and be like, you know, maybe that's for those zealous, religious, naive, ignorant folk who believe anything. Amen? It's easy just to push it aside and say, let's just bundle that up with all the other Christmas nonsense because I believe in substantial stuff. But here's the thing, as we look at Luke chapter one, I wanna suggest to you that while there are certain stories that you can hear and you can look at and you can just hum away and dispel as that's probably nonsense, the other side of the coin there is that there are stories that are fantastical. There are stories that seem crazy and ridiculous. However, they should never just be hummed off. There are some stories based on uh, 
all the context that goes behind them, that if you're prepared to actually keep digging, if you're prepared to plumb them to their depths, if you're prepared to not just hum them away and actually dig in and explore, what you will see is that there is a substantial foundation that is worth trusting in. And I wanna suggest to you that this Christmas, as we look at these Christmas songs, these songs of salvation, that there is a depth and a truth to this that we cannot hum away. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're someone who, you're far from any religious stuff. You've just rocked up because someone tricked you in coming here or because you came to see a friend get baptised and you didn't really even know what that was. But let me tell you, ask Seek and knock because there is something significant to stand on here. And the reason, I just wanna bring up a couple of quick things for us this morning. The reason I think as you plummet steps, as you explore this, as you search this, what you're gonna discover, the reason you can trust this is because it's rooted in history, it's affirmed by testimony and the big kicker is that it is the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy. It's rooted in history. It's affirmed by, let me say this, it's affirmed by trustworthy testimony, not just a bench fact, but trustworthy testimony. And it's the fulfillment of thousands of years of history. So let's dive in. Let me set the table a little bit before we look at the song because there's some stuff that's really significant here. Luke begins in verse five where he says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Here's what you have to understand. Herod, king of Judea was a bad man. Herod, king of Judea was a, what you, would, you and I would call an evil man. He had a reputation of doing horrible, 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 horrible things. He was murderous. He was tyrannical. He established his rule and reign just by lording it over everybody else. He murdered, like we hear in the story in the Scriptures of murdering all these boys under the age of two, literally every one of them. But here's the crazy thing. In some Jewish texts, he's done so much bad stuff that they don't even really record that as a major event. Like, it's not front page news, it's like page five. Which means you've got to have done some pretty awful stuff for the murdering of zero to two-year-olds to just not even be front page news. Are you with me? He's a bad dude. There's a historian, um, an ancient Roman historian called Macrobius. Everyone say Macrobius. That's just a fun name to go and talk about later on. This is what he said, quote, of Herod the Great. He said, it is better to be Herod's pig than his son. It is better to be Herod's pig than his son because he was murdering his sons, but he wouldn't touch a pig because the Jewish law didn't enable him to. He's a bad man. On top of that, God hasn't spoken. There's been no prophetic word in Israel for 400 years. It's the time of Herod the Great. There is a silence There is 400 years of waiting for promises that have been spoken in the Old Testament and nothing has come since. You have 400 years of silence. Do you realise how long that is? It's like longer than Australia. 400 years 
of silence. So you could see when you read that, don't just read in the time of Herod, king of Judea and keep reading. The way that you could read that could simply be this. You could say at a time of great darkness, when God was silent and hope was all but lost. That's what Luke means when he writes that. At the time of Herod the Great, at a time of great darkness, when God was silent and hope was all but lost, there was a priest named Zechariah and his wife named Elizabeth. And I feel like preaching right now. Zechariah and Elizabeth, two names, don't skim past them. When you read names in the Bible, you have to, like if you see a name, go, huh, what does that name mean? Because names in the Hebrew text and uh, Hebrew culture and as it's translated to the Greek, they're really significant, right? They mean stuff. Zechariah comes from two root words. The first root word is Zechariah. Who wants to learn something this morning? Are we okay with that? Zechariah comes from two root words. The first one is Zechariah, which means to remember. The second one is Yah or Yahweh, which means God. Elizabeth comes from two root words, El, Elohim, meaning God, and Saba, everyone say Saba, meaning oath. Or did you catch that? So Zechariah literally means God remembers and Elizabeth means God's promise or God's oath. So, so, so or at a time of great darkness, when God was silent and hope was all but lost, God remembered His promise. Oh, come on, somebody. That's what the Christmas story is all about. That's what Luke is setting this up. This is his introduction. At a time of great darkness, when God was silent and hope was all but lost, God remembered His oath. And He's going, and now I'm gonna let you know what happens here. He's saying all of the promises that God had written about in the Old Testament are about to come to pass. You need to listen to this. This is legitimate. This is true. Don't hum this off. This is serious. How do we know that? Because it's rooted in history. Look how Luke begins. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Friends, Luke is a historian and a physician. The gospel doesn't come to us by someone randomly entering a trance and a golden egg falling from heaven, which he cracked and there was something, the word. This story comes to us from a historian who was also a doctor, which means he knows his stuff and he knows how to do his research. And he says, I carefully investigated everything by by interviewing eyewitnesses, by digging into the files, by literally doing the work of history. And so you can trust it because it is rooted in history. If you wanna pull rug over someone's eyes, you don't include historical facts. You don't include names and times and places. You make it mythological. It's the opposite of what the scripture is. It's the opposite of what 
Luke does here, he grounds it and he roots it in history. And so you've got to pay attention to it. And you're like, could this actually be true? No matter how unbelievable it seems, it is rooted in history at a time of great darkness when God was silent and hope was all but lost. God remembered His promise It's rooted in history. Number two, the second thing I want you to see here, why can you trust this? Why should we trust this story? Not only is it rooted in history, but it's also affirmed by testimony, by trustworthy testimony. Have a look, as he does his research, he talks about Zechariah and he talks about Elizabeth and he talks about the fact that they are righteous in the sight of God. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are trustworthy human beings, right? They're good folk. They're trustworthy folk. They've been around for a fair while and they've been faithful to one another. Do you know that in, that in Jewish culture, if a wife didn't give you a child, you had legal grounds to divorce them because having an heir was important. But Zechariah and Elizabeth are old and they're still married. What does that tell you about Zechariah, the content of his heart? It tells you that he's a man of good character, that he's faithful to his vow, that he made a promise and he's gonna keep by that promise. It tells you something about who he is and it tells you something about who Elizabeth is, that they are still faithfully serving God, even though this one thing, this one really important thing in their culture hadn't been given to them. And they're like, I'm still trusting you. I'm still serving you. I'm still following you because you are good. They're trustworthy people. So we should listen to him. And so he starts to, sets it up there and he starts to tell their story. And he's like, they're old. They've been at this for a while. And Zechariah, there's no retirement for priests, just for Levites. So Zechariah still goes and he performs his duty at the temple. And he gets the incredible role of burning the incense before the holy place. And as he's in there burning the incense, doing his job, all of a sudden this crazy experience happens. Gabriel appears the messenger angel of God. And it freaks him out. I think he might've slipped a swear word out. I just made that up. I don't know that's for sure, but it might've happened if it was me. He's like, he's serving away and then Gabriel appears and it freaks him out. And Gabriel's like, I haven't really figured out this whole angelic visitation thing of how to not scare a human being yet. It seems to keep happening all through the Bible. Don't be afraid, I bring good news. And then he tells him what's about to happen. And I love the fact that Zechariah in that moment is like, how can I be sure that this will happen? And Gabriel's like, dude, I'm literally Gabriel. What more do you need? Like, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Is that not enough? And so I sat with that this week, like this doesn't make sense. Why does he need? And then I realised something, that this isn't just about Zechariah having a testimony because we need to know that this is trustworthy and true. This is about thousands of other people having a testimony. And so what happens is as Zechariah questions and he doubts, he says, okay, you want a sign? I'm gonna give you a sign. You're not gonna be able to speak. 
And so Zechariah leaves his place where he's working. He leaves the temple and he's not able to talk and everyone's like, whoa, something happened, what's going on? And he's like making signs and like he must have had a vision. And so then he leaves there and he goes home and it's almost a year passes of him being silent, of his mouth being shut up. And I think sometimes we think seasons of silence represent God's absence or indifference. Don't make that mistake. God's silence is not his absence or his indifference. Often it's actually God's silence where he's doing the deepest work in us. It's actually, you know, often in life when we're going through a test, it's that test that becomes the testimony, yeah? It's often as we're in the biggest mess, that's where the message is gonna come from. God's the one who brings beauty out of brokenness. And so don't ever just run it off and say, well, I'm going through a tough time, therefore I can't trust God. No, 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 hold fast because you never know what God might be doing in this season of silence. And so Zechariah enters this season of silence and Zechariah then goes home and it's all of this time waiting for this promise and Elizabeth gets pregnant and obviously they've communicated through a writing tablet or sign language or something because she knows that they're gonna call the child John. And so when a time comes for John to be born and he's born and everyone's like, they're gonna call him Zechariah, praise God. It's gonna be great because that's the father's name and she's like, "Uh uh-uh, his name is John and they're like, you don't know anything crazy woman, that's not how we roll we're calling him Zechariah and Zechariah's like no his name will be John and then in that moment the silence ceases friends you got to understand what this moment is this is 400 years of silence breaking four hundred years And now God speaks. Isn't that amazing? And as he opens his mouth, it says, everyone who heard this wondered asking about it, uh, wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? It's not just about Zechariah and Elizabeth having their quiet little testimony and getting pregnant. This is about a testimony because because Zechariah was silenced. Now there's so many people who have a testimony of God's goodness, of the fact that God has done something, which means when Luke does his research, it's not just one or two people. There's this broad network of people who can affirm this by testimony. That's why we can trust it. Because it's not just one person, you know, making up facts in the front of their car about Ronaldo. This is trustworthy. This is trustworthy. Which brings me to the third thing, and I'm gonna close. Band, you can come up. But not only is it affirmed by testimony, it is the fulfillment of prophecy. And this is so, so good. Because if you look at what Gabriel says, after I stand in the presence of God and he carries on with all of those things and he talks about all that John will be, he is quoting Malachi 4, 5 and 6. Malachi is the last word we have from the Old Testament. Chapter four, this is the last thing written before God, the silent years started. Are you ready for this? See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you 
before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. What did Gabriel say about this child? He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Here he is, he is making reference to the last word spoken. He's saying this is a fulfilment of prophecy. And then as you carry on and we look at Zechariah's song, we see some amazing things. We see the fact that he's saying he's raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets long ago. He's saying, go back, look at everything that was said in the Old Testament, look at it. And you can do your own research. We don't have time this morning. But as you do your own research, what you're gonna see is everything that John, uh, everything that Zechariah says here in his song, sings out prophetically, every single thing he said comes to pass. But every th single thing he says is not new. It's all been spoken long, long, long before in the days of the prophets and the days of the kings when words were spoken about a Messiah who would come. In fact, he even references Abraham. I know I gotta close, but this is so good. I just need you to see this and then we'll finish. He even references Abraham and he references the covenant. He says uh, from verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember His holy covenant, the oath He swore to our father Abraham. Now, in the book of Genesis 12, 15, 17, 18, He talks about the covenant, right? That God made with Abraham. That covenant is to give Him land and make Him a blessing to all nations. That covenant is not to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. So I'm like, what's that all about? Did you ask the same question when you heard that? What's that all about? And I realised something. I realised what He's referring to is not the covenant made in Genesis 12, 15, 17 and 18. He's talking about the covenant made in Genesis 22 which is where Abraham has been given Isaac. And if you don't know this story, please read it later. Abraham has been given a child, Isaac, through which all the promise would come to pass. And then God says to him, go and sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And as he says, go and sacrifice him, Abraham doesn't say no, he obeys. And he goes on this journey of walking his son to the place of sacrifice. And Isaac says this amazing thing. He says, Father, I see wood and I see fire, but I see no lamb. Do you know what Abraham says in that moment? He doesn't say, it's you, mate. He says, the Lord will provide. And so he goes up and he lays his son on the altar and he takes the knife and just as about that knife is about to plunge, the Lord calls out, Abraham, Abraham, do not touch him. For now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you love me. Now I know that you will honour me. Now I know that I can trust you with the promise I've given you. And he goes, look, there is a ram in the thicket. And so they take the ram and they perform the sacrifice. And I realise that what this is a prophecy of is the prophecy of the Lamb of God who would come to take away the sin of the world. This is why John the Baptist, the very child who's gonna proclaim it, what does he do? He stands there when he's got his people around and he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. Church, you're not getting excited enough about this. This is exactly what John does. This is fulfilment of prophecy. John is the one who says, behold the Lamb. He's the 
one who says, here's the fulfilment of what God did for Abraham and now He's doing for all humanity, for all who would trust in Him. And the enemy that they talk about defeating is not Rome. It's not per- It's not all the nations of the world who are coming against them. It's the only enemy that no one can defeat, which is the curse of sin and death. And then he goes on and he prophesies that the way this curse would be broken is through the forgiveness of sins and the rising of the sun from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death. He's like, victory's gonna come when heaven touches earth to defeat sin and death through a lamb who will be slain in our place. And all of a sudden the Christmas story doesn't sound so weird because it's rooted in history, it's affirmed by testimony and it is the fulfilment of prophecy. It hasn't fallen out of nowhere. It's been prophesied over and over and over and over again that yeah, it's gonna be a bit weird because God is above us. But the only way that we can that we can defeat death is by trusting in the one who has power over death. You and I don't have that power. Only God does. And He comes and He lays down His life. And here's the thing, as Jesus was walking to the altar, He was silent. There was no stop, it was no go. And bear the sin of many for the salvation of all who would believe. Church, we cannot separate Christmas and the cross. We cannot separate Christmas and the cross and that's what Zechariah's song is all about. It's all about the reality that Christmas is wonderful and it's great, but you can trust it. You can trust this Jesus. Oh, you can trust Him. Friends, you can trust Him. It's not a pie in the sky. It's not a bench fact. You can trust Him. And I don't know where you're at, but I wanna invite you today to trust Him, to trust Him. When doubt creeps in, maybe you're in a season of silence. Maybe you feel like you're trapped in darkness. Friends, Take hope in the fact that in a time of great darkness, when God was silent and hope was all but lost, God remembered His promise. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He always remembers His promise. If He said it, it will come to pass and He said it and it has in Jesus. Do your own research if you need to, and you should. But I promise you, you, if you undertake what Luke undertook and you investigate, you will find this is trustworthy and true and you can build your life upon it. Amen, Shannon. You can build your life on Him no matter how rocky, no matter how dark. That's why John says, I was supposed to finish 10 minutes ago, sorry. But it's why John says, in Him was life and the life was the light of mankind. The light has shone in the darkness and what the darkness has not overcome it. 
That's why He's worthy of praise. That's why we gather together. That's why we put lights and trees up. That's why we have two people up here with wings looking crazy. Because we want the world, <laughs> little harsh, but they love it. Because <laughs> we want the world to know that Jesus is real. What He did is final. And it's for you and all your household. You can stand on it, Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet. So as we close, I wanna pray for you. And I wanna invite you to trust in Him. And so if you're here and you're someone who has never trusted in Jesus, if you're here and Jesus, this whole story, the narrative of Christ has been something you're just humming, or, humming off and saying, no, no, it's not for me. I don't invite you today to reconsider that and to come into that place of journeying and getting to know Him because He's good. And so we're gonna invite our, our team, elders, prayers, if you can come spread around the room. And if you're here and you would like prayer, or you'd like to talk to someone about who this Jesus is, we would love to pray with you. Don't be afraid, don't be shy. And if you're here and you do trust in Jesus and you've never been baptised after this song and you wanna get baptised, let's do it. We'll give you the chance to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. Lord, we thank You that You are trustworthy and true. Lord, we thank You that You humbled Yourself and became obedient. You took on flesh. You went to the cross. You defeated sin and death. You rose from the grave. You ascended to the right hand of the Father. You send your Holy Spirit to establish your church and you are with us to the very end of the age. We give you honour and we give you praise and we worship you. I pray for every person here who finds themselves right now in a time of great darkness where it seems like God is silent and hope is all but lost. I pray that they would know that you always remember your promise. Bless them, Lord. We worship you. We praise you. Thank you, Jesus. So if that's you and you'd love prayer, I feel that really strongly. If you're in that space where you're like, I just want, I need some encouragement this morning. The Lord's just been chipping away at your heart. Please come. Come and pray. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you in the faith. And if you wanna get to know Jesus, please come. We'd love to chat with you. But let's worship our great King. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.